We are recording. Oh, you weren't recording any of that? No. Oh, man. That was like 30 minutes of bullshit. <laughs> Perfect for it. Yeah, but now that's that's the cold intro, just 30 minutes of bullshit. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Easy Cheese and Tam's Beer. Hashtag not sponsored. Thank you for joining us for another Unqualified Authorities, where we aren't sure why you keep coming back, but we're glad you do. Hey everybody, it's Austin. I'm Chris. This is Jonathan. And this is Joe. Today we'll be discussing episodes 7, 8, and 9 of Star Trek Lower Decks. Episode 7, Much Ado About Boimler. Boimler volunteers to test Rutherford's new transport upgrade, which malfunctions and leaves him phasing. Tandy genetically engineers a dog with an array of freakish abilities. Both are transferred for medical care to the farm on board the USS Osler. Osler? Who knows? Other patients on board believe the farm does not exist. Freeman is assigned to a covert mission, and Mariner's old friend, Captain Amina Ramsey, takes temporary command in their absence. To avoid being promoted by Ramsey, Mariner displays uncharacteristic incompetence, but is forced to confidently take control when the Cerritos finds the USS Rubido being torn apart by a hatching spaceport entity. The patients on the Osler attempt a mutiny, but are betrayed by Boimler, who recovers from his phasing and attempts to make peace. As the patients are about to blow him out the airlock, they arrive at the farm, which is a real luxurious medical spa planet, whose inhabitants receive the best care. Boimler tries to stay, but is sent back to the Cerritos. Ramsey parts amicably with Mariner. I just want to say something I've noticed when it comes to episode descriptions for almost any TV show. Right. They never get all the details quite right. Well, it's always a few things that are like fairly close. Yeah, vague. No, it's not. It's not like vague or anything. It it was more along the lines of he lost his uh, thing. Not like during like like it wasn't to try and bring peace. He he lost a phasing bit as like it was actually coming to a head. So like their placement of when he lost his phasing uh, was kind of weird. But that's fine. Yeah. All right. Um. Yeah, let's talk about that. The dog. <laughs> the horror dog. Uh, horror. Classic. That was the best dog ever. I don't, I mean, just, just like I under, I agree. It was a great dog, but just I, I call it the horror dog, just of what it ha- what it does at the beginning when we first see it. It just does normal dog things. I mean, yeah, you're not wrong, but that doesn't mean it's still a horror. It's not still a horror dog. It might be a regular dog in Joe's universe. But just, it, Tendi literally said it's just the dog because it's a dog. It does dog things. Like yeah. turn into a cube. Yeah, that's normal. Yeah. And roll its head around backwards. Yeah. And climb up the walls. Turns its legs. You guys' dogs don't like shoot out their eyeballs and they turn into bats and fly away? Mine, mine, mine do that on mine floats. Basis. See? See? Normal dogs. dogs. Yeah. See? Normal but dogs. Again, my dogs are quite freakish. Audience, if yeah. your dogs don't do that, your dog's the weird one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hate to break it to you, but it's lying to you, and it can do those things. Mm. Dogs know what they did, and they can talk back. They just choose not to. This was a good episode. I liked it. My only complaint is that it's a very slow build. The pacing is kind of just not there mm-hmm. at points, and so the episode felt longer, but that's really one of the only negative things, except for the total lack of shacks in this episode. That is, that's a major down downfall. Lack Weren't they on a like a secret mission to plant a seed or something? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You only see them in the background. No lines. No nothing. Just yeah. Shacks. 
the captain, and your guy. I can never remember his name. My guy, Ransom? Yeah. He's my boy. I like the axolotl uh, aliens. That was kind of neat, but I also felt it was a little lazy, just taking a a human, or sorry, an earth creature and anthropomorphizing it. I can't say that word very well, can I? I mean, that's a staple. It is, but all sci-fi, really. Classic Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, especially if you look at the original TNG episodes, they did a lot of weird stuff like that. Cat people, lizard people. Um, I did like the the call out to uh, the weird um, lizard nuke creature. Anthony. Yes. Yeah, that was a reference um, to Voyager. Voyager, Yeah. 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 When Janeway and uh, Paris Paris. got turned into them. Oh, that episode. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, medical officer. I loved him. Yep. The guy with the three arms. I don't think they ever actually gave him a name, did they? I'm pretty sure he had a name. Um, But, yeah, no, he, he was a great little character. Just that uber... Foreboding? For, yeah, foreboding. Uber foreboding and just absolutely almost seems like that evil dick that you really want to root against. But he turns out to be actually a fairly decent guy. Weird looking ship. It yeah. was. It, but Very it was Section really, 31-ish. Yeah, but it yeah. worked. It really set off an ominous tone. And it was nice seeing a variation of the typical Starfleet ship. Yeah. With the Rubido, that's the uh, sister ship to the uh, Cerritos, right? Mm-hmm. With the most incompetent crew ever. Yeah. Uh, just uh, the fact that he wasn't just out of phase, but also creating that nice teleporter noise Ooh, just ringing. constantly. And then Rutherford is able to finally get him stabilized, and all it does is just reduce the noise. The doctor made a made a joke about that, didn't she? Uh, something about that being the worst part about it. Yeah. The doctor's funny. I like the doctor. Yeah. From Doctor Who? No. no. Wrong series. Oh. Save that for another podcast. Yeah. Uh, Mayhaps. I did like in watching through the episode, anybody who's familiar with uh, video games and a lot of animated series, the voice of one of the staff that comes over as uh, the senior staff to help with control of the Cerritos, uh, Durga, the Vulcan, is voiced by Jennifer Hale. Oh, oh Jennifer Hale. Yeah. And then she also voices the dog at the end of it. Nice. <laughs> Who is Jennifer Hale? Uh, Femme Shep- the, Yeah, the big thing is female Commander Shepard in Mass Effect series. Uh, did you watch the original Spider-Man animated series? Which original? Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends? No, that was amazing. No. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> The Amazing Spider-Man, I think, is what it was. Probably, but I was probably uh, very young. Because that was the one, uh, Black Cat was voiced by Jennifer Hale. Mm. She also does some live action stuff. Yeah, not a lot, though. She's mostly known for voiceover work. Um, I think I want to say she voices um, Lightning in Final Fantasy 13. Probably. I think. I might be wrong. It wasn't um, wasn't a super busy episode. Like, no. uh, I did like the call out. I mean, being a fan of Futurama, I did like the amount of people that were in the chair. You know, the nice little beepy chair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that was fun. And then that's only because I recognize him from Futurama, and Futurama made it hilarious because it was all push pedal for the button. That was a joke on the yeah. original series. 
I missed that. The trial episode in the original series with the uh, officer who had been debilitated. I am not getting this right now. Oh. It's been a long time since I watched the original series mm. in a whole. But they were making fun of that because that's how the actor had to do it, was there mm. was a little, a little pedal. pedal inside of it, to and beep. he would beep, 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 beep. Oh, oh, it, uh, Pike in the chair. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, then you also had, uh, the guy who was equal parts accelerated aging and, uh, age regression. So his voice just kept flip-flopping in between, uh, a young kid's voice and an old man voice. It was like half and half, Yeah, right? half yeah. and yeah. half. Equal parts. <clears throat> it was great. I liked the guy who was just a head. Yeah. Several conjoined people. Mm -hmm. I can't remember his name, but the guy who was, uh, I think it was the one that got converted into a fish. It's like, we don't, we're pretty sure he was a guy beforehand, but we don't, we don't know. That was Anthony, the listener that we were talking about before. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was like one of the best just offhand jokes that if you, you blink (laughs) and you miss it. Uh, that was fun. I think my favorite part about that whole storyline was the, um, the flip at the end, the mm-hmm. subverting the expectation of, like, oh yeah, this is gonna be the classic evil lair. Oh no, he's just a happy-go-lucky guy, and yeah, he was just grumpy being in a spaceship. Mm-hmm. I know it's been a long trip, but maybe Sometimes I could I... put in some lighting, some brighter colors. Yes, not make it as dark. Uh, I know he he did have a great quote that I absolutely loved, and I love my quotes. Oh yeah, quote man, John. Uh, when they first get on, they ask him how long it's going to be before they get to the farm. He's like, do not trouble yourselves with the journey. The farm cures all. <laughs> just just how ominous he did that was just fantastic. Mm. Well, he <laughs> wasn't was wrong. Great. No, he, he he's not. Uh, two other things I really liked about this episode. The energy creature from the other ship. Because mm. that just, it's a Star Trek trope. You know. Wasn't that a call out to uh, uh, the... TNG pilot, the uh, Farpoint Station. Was I think that so. Jellyfish creature. Yeah, yeah. It, it was cool to see that. Um, and again, this is one of those points where animation really did well because if this was a full live action series, you know that would have been a hellacious episode for them to try and pull off. Probably wouldn't um, have looked good. No. And then actual cursing in Starfleet. I gotta say that was hilarious. Because you don't you don't normally see that, but it's easy to forget that Starfleet is a branch of the military, right? So you're gonna see cursing in it more often than what we actually see in the shows. Well, it's a branch of the exploration of the universe. Big argument going on right now is what is Starfleet really? Uh-huh. Whether it's a military branch or it's an exploration force. I mean, wouldn't they be one the same? Whenever war breaks out, they always bring in Starfleet as the defense force. Yeah, it basically, from what I've understood, anyways, is it's uh, uh, it, they keep flip flopping between pure exploration or pure war, mm-hmm. which is you see the the change from uh, exploring ships, uh, diplomatic ships like the Enterprise, the the Galaxy class. Um, Voyager is more of a uh, um, science exploration type ship uh, mm-hmm. to your sovereign class, your defiance in that generation of ships that are more designed for war. Gotcha. Apparently, CBS put out a, a promotional image for the dog 
And it's just Star Trek flair, but it's Tech Quarter, new and improved. Every line of DNA code updated. 5% faster, 6% smarter. The dog shapeshifts, talks, hovers, spits lightning. <laughs> spits lightning. Classic. <laughs> As all dogs do. Yeah, ex- exactly. We've already established standard. this. We've already established this. Right. That one's 5% better. Yeah. 5% faster, 6% smarter. So that's the only outlier of this dog is it's just a little right. bit better. Right. Which is mm-hmm. fine because some breeds are better than others. It's mm-hmm. kind of like getting a new car every year. Right. Which, which is ridiculous. You should, yeah. You should get a new dog every year, right? N- no. Uh, Am I the mm-hmm. only one that does that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> You've had your dog for like three years. No, we lease. We just keep getting the oh, same model. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. You just keep upgrading the model. Yeah. Smart, smart. I should do that. One of these days we'll get one with a tail. I'll do that with my kid. I mean, the fact that uh, Rutherford's beaming technology saved actually the saved the end, and they, 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 instead of using beam us out of here, they said boim us out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't catch Class. that. Yeah, I, I caught that, just because it was, it was just a real tip of the tongue, but... Um, so this episode was also a good... Um, a good display of Mariner's actual skill set versus the kind of actor facade that she puts on. Very true. Uh, most of the time. And she, it also explains why she's still an ensign this far in. Well, yeah. no, she got demoted, remember? Yeah. Yeah, It's she's not still an ensign. She got demoted. Probably for one of the aforementioned reasons in all <laughs> the other episodes. Right. Maybe having to deal with, I don't know, contraband? I think it's just more not obeying the chain of command or prime directive. That would make more sense than just contraband for busting down to Ensign. Why not both? Overall, I don't all right, how about on about to this episode? episode 8? Yeah, I was going to say, that's about all I have to say about episode 7. Episode 8, Veritas. Mariner, Boimler, Tendi, and Rutherford are brought before an alien court by Klar, who demands they testify about the actions of the Cerritos' senior crew. Mariner relates a story about a mishandled standoff with insectoid clickets who are aggravated by Mariner's misunderstanding Freeman's orders. Rutherford recalls a high-stakes mission stealing a Romulan bird of prey from a Vulcan museum, but has gaps in his memory due to his cybernetic implant. Tendi testifies about being mistakenly brought on a covert mission on the bird of prey to Romulus to steal a package. Clar doubts these stories claiming that Starfleet officials should know what is happening on their ship, but Boimler assures him that Starfleet crew members make mistakes all the time, including antics with Q or boarding the wrong vessel, and accuses Clark of holding the drumhead trial. Clark clarifies that this is actually a party celebrating his rescue from Romulus by the Cerritos, and he was just seeking an account of those events. The ensigns later ignore another encounter with Q. Yeah. Uno momento, por favor. He what? dropped his notes. Oh, no. <laughs> Keeping that in. <laughs> you tried to catch it. And I did. <laughs> I saw it, and I was like... <laughs> Almost lost it. <laughs> All right, recovered notes. Oh, wait. So, um, yeah, this was fun. This was, and this cold opening was very Star Trek. The whole being brought before a tribunal or... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell us of these wondrous events. I mean, that was the first clue, but... Yep, all right, good episode. Let's go on. (laughs) Episode nine. Let's go. I I do feel, though, that the twist was kind of a letdown, just because the events leading, like, they were recounting for this entire thing were so much better than the twist ending itself. Right. It being just, you know, hey, this is a party, whatever. 
that was just kind of a letdown. But everything else was fun up to that point. I think of all the recounts, I think Tendy's was my favorite. Mm. Um, she's like, are you the cleaner? Or something, right? Is that what yeah, they call it? Yeah, the cleaner. Are you the cleaner? And she's like, uh, yeah. Because she was cleaning the, uh, the, the, right. the officers. And then she just goes wherever they wind up going. And she's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, I mean, she turns out to be a certified badass. Right. Maybe. Seeing as how it's her story, she might be embellishing. Sure, sure. But I don't see her embellishing that much. No, I don't think she's a liar. No. Um, I gotta say, I... I I'm not a big fan of the multi-perspective storytelling, like when it goes and shifts like that. If it would have been like the recount all the way through and we just hear a voiceover instead of it continuously cutting back to the trial, mm-hmm. um, probably would have been a little bit better for me. But it's really hard to do that type of story and keep the twist at the end. Yeah, no, that might be a little more interesting. I, I think the reason they, they did it from different perspectives was so that we couldn't make the connection yeah. and that's why they did it that way mm-hmm. if it was all of them telling the story where they were all in it together at different points but that, that probably they would have you know had contradicting facts and stuff and that would have slowed it down I think I loved the uh, the fan dance <laughs> Rutherford's fan dance <laughs> the <Are> Gorn you... <laughs> wedding <laughs> Rutherford's story was by far my favorite part of the yeah. entire the entire bit and just the ever increasing scanning alert because every yes. time it's like oh they're scanning us just another ship is in there and eventually it ends off there's four ships surrounding their invisible bird of prey <laughs> oh no we're good wait they're scanning us again <laughs> oh no we're good I feel in order to make this episode better it would have been uh, it would have been done done better as only um, Rutherford and Tendy. yeah because Boimler and uh, Mariner really did very little, and it, they were just there because they were the other token crewmen that we focus on all the time. Exactly. And they also needed to fill in those parts of the stories. I think I think Boimler did the last bit, and Mariner did the first part, right? Okay. Mariner called about Boimler, talked about all the failures of Starfleet. <laughs> right. right. Specifically the Cerritos crew. Yep, yep. Uh, they do suck. They don't suck. They're just not great at what they do, but they do it. They have the best um, uh, uh, communication in the fleet with all their people knowing exactly what's going on because we all know how military forces work. Everyone knows everything <laughs> all the time. Like I gotta say, I loved um, Kurt, or Kurt Wood Smith in this one. He was the one that did the voice for Clark. Probably oh, yeah. most famous for being the uh, the father off of that '70s show, mm-hmm. or for uh, blowing apart Peter Wilker and Robocop. Yeah. As soon as you know his voice and you know his face, you'll start seeing him pop up more and more. Uh, He's gonna put a boot in your ass. I'm sure. Of it. <laughs> Don't threaten me with a good time. That that was really low effort. <laughs> that I was say, forced. And that made it, that made it only slightly better. Well, that's about how the writing of this episode went. <laughs> I love the amount of Shaxx in this episode. Uh, yeah, Shaxx was good. Yeah, it was, it was pretty good. I like how we base our uh, our observation of every episode is on a Shaxx meter. That's that's <laughs> mine. The Shaxxometer. The Shaxxometer. Yeah. Oh, season two is going to be so sad. I know. Or is hey, it? No foreshadowing. <laughs> Save that for the last. John, episode. I might steal your quote of the episode. Go ahead. I don't have any quotes from this episode. Oh, wait, oh. No, I have one. Never mind. Are you so stubborn you would risk death by eels? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> that was yeah. a perfect delivery of that. Oh, yeah, because it was just immediate and just 
on point. Uh, yeah, no, my my uh, quote for this episode: "It is an honor to be in this beam." Shut up, Billups. <laughs> uh, classic Billups. Mm-hmm. And you guys keep referring to him. I don't even know who you're talking He's about. He's a chief engineer. Yeah, I know all the time. It's just I'm like I have no idea who this is. He's liked- a bald guy who was eating soup in that one episode. Mm-hmm. Such a mystery. Such a badass. Yeah. Sort of the next episode. I don't know, but I think it might be the next. Yeah, episode. I think it. I think it's episode. It nine. might be nine. <laughs> Forget our joke. Cut this out. <laughs> I'm not going uh, to. Did anyone else get the joke about the Remans, the Romulans, oh, yeah, saying the, that they hate the Remans? The, the Romulans and yeah. the Remans. Yeah. 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 That one is pretty pretty on the nose. If you miss that, you just don't understand Greek history, <laughs> Roman, Roman history, Roman culture. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay episode. I liked it. Yeah, no, it was enjoyable. It had some really good parts, but other parts were kind of me. It definitely wasn't the worst episode. No, I think we all agreed on the worst episode. Yeah. yeah. When we get to the uh, the end of season rankings, we'll we'll yeah. see where what we all have. Um, yeah, so let's move on to episode nine. Yeah. Okay. Crisis point. To prepare for an interview with Freeman, Boimler creates a holodeck program using the crew's private logs to produce an accurate simulation of the Cerritos. Freeman sends Mariner to therapy, where she insists she is fine. Later, Mariner spitefully takes over Boimler's program to create a movie-like experience, where she plays the villainous Vindicta. She invades the simulation of the Cerritos with her friends and kills the crew. Boimler and Rutherford join the holographic crew to fight against Vindicta, while Tendi leaves the simulation after being disturbed by Mariner's behavior. Mariner ultimately crashes the simulation of the Cerritos and then fights a holographic recreation of herself, causing her to realize her true feelings for her mother and the Starfleet as she does. Concluding this therapy has worked, she leaves the holodeck, Boimler completes the simulation and accidentally discovers that Freeman is Mariner's mother. With this knowledge, Boimler panics and flunks his interview with the cap. I thought it was way earlier that he discovered that they were related. Uh, I think we found out, the audience Right, in episode one. Episode one. Yeah. But I also, like, binged it all in one night, so it was kind of a blur. It also, even though it was directed at us, it wasn't really pushed hard that this relationship between the captain and and Ensign Mariner. Except for in uh, Moist Vessel. Mm-hmm. Moist vessel. Moist vessel. Moist. John, do you want to say moist for the audience? No, I'm good. Moist. I'm sorry, audience. My name's John, and I like moist. This is probably one of my what? favorite episodes. Okay. Yeah, I, I liked it. I, I really liked it. It's not my favorite, but I do. I do love a good hollow deck episode. Yeah. Wasn't it? Wasn't it when it was in the the, the movie scenes? Everything had um, the glow and the. It, yeah. it had film grain, right. And lens flare. I specifically right. marked that down because I thought that was really neat. Because I hate film grain with a passion. I love lens Ex- flare, except for in old movies because it makes they sense. They had there. to bridge that gap between the classic Star Trek movies and uh, Abrams. Those the Kelvin Universe movies. You mean my, my favorite movies? They have their place, but it's not here. It's my Star Trek. I will say the my biggest complaint for this, and it's a pretty minor one, this still ranks really high for me, is the fact that the episode is 100% meta. Oh, yeah. It is <laughs> It is by no means camouflage that they're doing a call-out to the old movies. But besides that, this episode was great. I loved it. Uh, I, the, the cold open. This is something that we brought up just the other day with the uh, the lizard people that are being oppressed by the rat people, and just their their whole thing with the, the all the lizards just have lisps. <laughs> so 
I just love the quote, we don't oppress them, we raise them for food. We are delicious. <laughs> well, Does what that... do you like to do for fun? Well, I like to bask. <laughs> and that's how I see lizard folk from now yeah. on in yep. every game I have. D&D, ever all the lizard folks are going to have uh, a lisp voice. Just a little lisp. <laughs> I like to bask. <laughs> <laughs> They're just so good. And then she has to get pulled away from it, and they just go back to being oppressed for food. I like them calling out capes, because that's something mm. that everyone does these days. Caught in a pod. <laughs> yep. I like the crash landing scene, because every Star Trek needs one of those. Yeah, and I think like all yeah. the Elven ones have had basically a big crash landing, haven't they? Yes. Uh, the third I think the first one, one didn't. The third one definitely did. Yeah, the third one did, second one did, because that's when they... Were, no, they were about to crash, weren't they? Going to uh, Earth. The second one was... I was into um, darkness. Wasn't it the the weird uh, space station that they kind of wrecked into? No, I'm pretty sure they crashed uh, a ship on Earth in San Francisco, because that's the one with Benedict Cumberbatch, and they were being yep. chased by the, oh. the really big vessel, and that's the one that crashed. It wasn't and then the third one, they crashed on the alien planet and found mm-hmm. What's-Her-Face, the white alien chick. Yeah, I think it was just the, the first one of the three that didn't have a crash scene. Definitely a callback to uh, Star Trek Generations, mm-hmm. which yes. uh, that had the crash scene in there twice, and actually technically three times if you count the reverse scene. Yeah. I don't. I also don't know what that is. We'll what? watch it one of these days. Okay. Well, it's, it's always good to have a good crash because the ship needs to be upgraded, and the only mm-hmm. way you can, you know properly write that off as to crash the ship. They did introduce a, a great new character that was only in this and only for a short amount of time, and that was a replacement for Boimler because Boimler wasn't a part of it, and that was Shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> Literally just everything about Boimler, but just a different character entirely. Did he have red hair or I something? Can't, I, I can't a, remember. Like a purple toupee on. Yeah. It was very reminiscent of uh, Doofus Rick from Rick and Morty. Yeah, mm-hmm. very much so. Kind of reminded me of um, the pilot from uh, the Orville. I forgot his name. The red-haired guy. Oh, yeah, that guy. Uh, I don't know. He was on ER, and he voices uh, Steve on American Dad, but um, I forgot his name. I'll look it up. Yeah, that's what it kind of reminded me of, but nobody here I don't think has seen the Orville. I have. I have. All right, excuse me. You guys know who I'm talking about then? Yes. Okay. <laughs> that's why I agreed with they you like six and, times. They prank and take his leg off. Oh, man, that's a good show. We should talk about it sometime. Oh, when they went into the uh, the holodeck and it was just Rutherford and Tendy skeet shooting with Da Vinci. Yeah. That was, was pretty good. Oh, I love that. And then they, they bring it back at the end with Badgie starting to go rogue again and Da Vinci taking him down. Yeah. Not on Da Vinci's watch. <laughs> uh Thanks, Da Vinci. Shax yeah. didn't have a huge part, but he did have a huge phaser rifle. Yeah, and that was great. <laughs> That's like a six on the Shax scale. Yes, it is. Yeah, the, the holodeck would be a great thing to have in today's culture. Mm-hmm. It would be like a rage room, except for you could actually kill people. Well, but they're not actually people because they're holograms. That was the whole point of this episode. Exactly. It was her rage room. You just... Sometimes you just gotta play a video game and go nuts and yell at the television for a while. Immersion therapy. John. Yeah. And I gotta say, this was a good way to do an old trope, facing your inner demons, um, that didn't feel too out of place. There wasn't a sudden clone of someone, just the holodeck, and it's a perfect tool for that type of thing. I mean, especially seeing how we didn't even see 
the Mariner in the program until the very end, where it was the Mariner versus Vindicta fight. Exactly. And they're all just equally balanced. And you find out how much that she actually cares about her mother just through this program. I liked it. Yeah. I did like the credits because it was the character names. It was written very in Avengers style. In the the, uh, the scribble handwriting. The signature. Yep. Yeah, signature oh, gotcha. Yeah, the, the fact that Boimler's signature had the Starfleet emblem in it. We, we find out that uh, Rutherford's first name is Samathan. Samantham. Samantham or something? Samantham Rutherford, because I wrote it down. They got weird names. That's a great name. Samantham. I mean, Devon Attendee. It, it is like 200 years in the future, so think about how much it's going to change. I mean, think about how weird names are right now in the 21st century compared to, like, at the end of the 20th century. Yeah. yeah. With uh, with this whole episode, both of the stories were really good. the uh, The Boimler side of the story worked really well because it was just working basically in the background of everything. Mm-hmm. But then you had the Mariner side of the story that you get your two side characters that are helping Mariner get through her thing with Tendi and Rutherford, but they both break off into their own little mini arcs because Tendi's is fighting against that whole Orions aren't pirates anymore. For at least five years, they haven't been pirates. Right. And so she just kind of like drops off of it, and then Rutherford goes into this whole thing where he just really wants to work with Billups because Billups is a stone-cold badass. He could say anything to Billups, mm-hmm. and they, they become like best friends. Yeah. And then later on, we see uh, a scene of... Um, in the mess. In the mess hall. And uh, he just doesn't have the courage to go up and talk to Billups, who's eating soup. But yeah, stone referenced cold. in the previous episode um, of our I, program. I thought that was a good subversion same, same because episode. the expectation built up with him going off to find Billups because he can do anything inside of this was the disgruntled employee mm-hmm. kind of trope. And for them to flip that on the head and just have him, you know, just excited to be working with him, I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My absolute favorite part about it, though, is the lens flare. <laughs> just that... Call that back was... to the uh, Kelvin. Yep. My boy JJ. The therapist that speaks in food, food uh, puns? metaphors. Not puns, metaphors. What is a pun but a really good metaphor? For fun. All right, moving on. <laughs> well, we've reached our pun count for today. Uh, I haven't even said one yet. Yeah, that's our pun. Exactly. That's our pun point. It's zero. Uh, for now. This was the episode you gotta where... You got to work up uh, to it. Post credits, the captain was talking to uh, the starbase, right? No, that's a. Mm. Nope, nope. Next episode. Yeah, I'm <laughs> getting ahead about myself all day today. All right, um, I think that's where we're gonna end uh, this episode. Um, next uh, next episode, we will talk about episode ten and then our overall feelings of the series and then what we are looking forward to slash what we're hoping happens that sort of thing so um yeah anyways thanks for listening this is austin chris out season finale john and this is joe signing off goodbye bye bye now yay yay Music performed and composed by our friend Crazy Zombie Pig Boy. Find him at twitch.tv. Episode 9, Crisis Point. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) These are very sensitive. So, yeah.
let's let's start over. I'm sorry. Because uh, John and Joe are over there playing around with I'm playing fucking footsies <laughs> with imaginary goop. There's adhesive right there, Joe. They've been there since I made them. No, the, the topper. Letting you know, Joe. Okay. Down up. All right, you guys ready? Yes. 